Welcome everyone to Mayday Arcade, where Maddie Parker will talk about whatever video game she's been playing. It might be a new one, it might be an old one. It'll be kind of a long-form review, but let's get to it. Hey everyone, Maddie here. Uh, so, before we get into the meat of this week's episode, I wanted to try something out uh, where it's kind of like, I guess you could call it an editorial. It's more just me kind of digging into something that I've been noticing. And I won't say that I'll have something like this every episode, but like if I have something that I feel is worth digging into, uh, I will. Uh, and this was spurred on by something I noticed in last week's game, Nexomon, uh, but it's definitely not only in Nexomon. It, it was more, that was the time that I really started picking up on a consistent thing that has popped up in a lot of these games that I've been playing. Uh, and that is Breaking the Fourth Wall. And... Breaking the Fourth Wall is a classic way to, you know, make a joke or, you know, things like that. It's it's done in movies, it's done in comics, it's done in every form of media. But this is a specific type of Breaking the Fourth Wall that I've been noticing in a lot of games lately, and that is calling out that you are in a video game. Uh, this has happened in multiple different games that are completely different genres, completely different stories, completely different everything. But they keep making these references to, oh, how crazy would it be if this was just a video game and we didn't actually exist? Things like that. Uh, and I got to thinking about how frustrating that is. Because if you do it once, you know, just do a little joke, that's fine. But if you do it on a consistent basis, it really harms what you are trying to do when you are building your game. So if you are telling a story and you're, you're creating these characters and, you know, all of these events are going, going down that you're putting your player through. When you break the fourth wall and bring up how this is just a video game, it immediately makes you disconnect from the world that you're creating, the, the story that you're trying to tell. So while it is called breaking the fourth wall, what you end up doing is you put a new wall between your player and the game world that you're trying to get them invested in. And so you have a really tough road to get them reinvested once you have put them on the outside of it. And sometimes they it, you can pull it off, you know, sometimes you can do it right. But too often what I've noticed is 
these bits usually happen right around a time where they're pushing the story forward. So they might be like feeling like they're not safe in where they're going with their story and their game world. And so almost as a way to like self-deprecatingly cut down whatever you're going to be doing next by being like it's just a video game it's just it's it's just a game you know you you don't have to take it seriously but when you do that it it makes it hard for people to stay motivated within your game because you have essentially lampshaded what they're doing and it's like oh look at look at what you're doing you think you're saving the world it's just a video game why are you why are you taking this seriously and it's sad because when they do it i'm always just like no just have respect for yourself have respect for your world and what you're doing and what you're building like and let me be within this world like let me be there if you if you want to just completely throw me out of that world and make me question like do i even want to keep playing this you you immediately do that when you say it's just a video game and i find that really sad uh just just have confidence in the story that you're telling in the world that you're building and people will follow people will get into it uh because you're not making fun of them for getting into it you know and so that is the main way that the fourth wall is being broken but there are more interesting ways that you can break the fourth wall without creating that separation for people and, you know, an, a really early example of that is uh, Eternal Darkness on the GameCube, where they would use the sanity meter and it would affect things that are not necessarily within the game world as you see it. So it's changing your TV's input channel or, you know, turning the volume all the way down or making it look like your save just got deleted. Things like that, where it is breaking the fourth wall, but it is doing it in a way that directly affects you and it furthers what they are trying to do because it's making you question your reality. It's the whole point of Eternal Darkness is questioning what is going on around you and what is real and what is not. And so by taking that part of the gameplay and breaking the fourth wall in a way that it extends the emotions outside of the game world into the real world, that's super effective. You can also see it, you know, much more recently in Undertale, where they play around with the reloading saves and like if you try to uh, save scum uh, because you mess something up, the game will comment on it. And so those ways of breaking the fourth wall 
are much more effective because it's it, it's not negating what is going on within the game. It's not making you lose sight of what you're supposed to be feeling at this point. Uh, so that that's just that's a way that you can kind of have that like self-referential nod without completely killing the investment uh because the last time that they do it in nexomon is literally right before you were fighting the final boss and when it happened to me i was just like i'm supposed to be getting like amped up for this fight and like making another reference to how this is just a video game it's like well why do i care now like so it sucks all the emotion out of that moment and so i i also think of mm -hmm. other ways that you can break the fourth wall or be self-referential without killing that and i think of easter eggs because easter eggs are such an important piece of video games and that's because they use the format that they are in and you have to go out of your way to find these easter eggs you have to like actually engage with the world in unique and fun ways and you're rewarded with like a fun little reference or you know a goofy quirky thing that like sticks out in the in the world in a weird way like take a good look at all the crazy hitman easter eggs that you can like trigger by doing a bunch of insanely minute things that like i i still don't even understand the process of some of these people being able to find these secret sequences of events to set things off because i just would never it would never cross my mind uh to find that because like especially with those hitman ones they're putting up those videos like week two so people are finding these really mm -hmm. obscure things super fast so it feels like a reward within the game for engaging with it and exploring and really appreciating the world that is being built so you are yes breaking the fourth wall in that way where you can you know find a hidden alleyway where there's a bonfire and you sit down at it like you're in dark souls so you have that moment where it's like oh cool all right you know i i get what they are doing with that and i feel rewarded for going out of my way to find it um but then once you're done with the easter egg you you immediately go right back into the story that you've been going through so you don't have uh that that wall that you have to get past again to get reinvested it's just an immediate thing it's a oh that was cool and then on your way so i guess my main point is i just wish these smaller 
game developers would would stop using that as a crutch because you deserve to have your games respected and it's and it's tough for people to do that because i mean there's no sony game you know sony first party game that is stopping their super dramatic zombie game to make a statement of like yeah but this is just a video game like that's not happening so they like they have the respect for the story that they're telling so you should too like like be proud of it because the fact that you have gotten together to make this world and and you're getting people to play it like be happy about that be proud of that and like don't undercut yourself when you you already have some hurdles to overcome being a smaller team not being able to make it look as big budget like you're working in smaller constraints but i feel like the people who are playing those smaller games and you know buying these games that are at a much lower price point there's an acceptance of like yeah i i didn't pay as much for this game so yeah it's not gonna look as good but that doesn't mean that you can't get people invested in your game you know people will go back and play original nintendo games these days and they'll still be able to get just as invested it doesn't matter that it doesn't look modern like you still have that connection because the world building is there so just give yourself a chance to like win people over uh and i think that's where you have seen these smaller indie games that do really latch on to people like undertale or like stardew valley you know th these these smaller games made by smaller teams and and what in the case of those two games essentially just two people uh you know they were able to do so much more on their own and you can feel it and they're proud of it they don't undercut what what they're trying to build so just be proud you know let people enjoy it let people get invested and i think it will just result in better games going forward um but anyways I'm going to cut it there, and then uh, I'll be back with the main episode this week. Uh, see you on the other side. Alright, we're back from the break, and uh, I'm recording this in my car. It is 3.56 a.m., uh, and I have the heater on because it's a little cold, so... I apologize if there's a sound, but we're going to get into the meat of today's episode, and I am so excited to talk about this, and like, you've seen the title, 
of the episode so you know what I'm going to be talking about. And what I'm going to be talking about is a little game called Resident Evil 2 Remake. Now, Resident Evil 2 Remake came out uh, a couple of years ago. I want to say 2018, if I'm remembering correctly. And I didn't play it myself until 2019, but I watched a playthrough of it by Easy Allies, which is legitimately one of my favorite things to watch in general, is this stream that Easy Allies did, which is 12 hours long, and it's both Claire's campaign and Leon's campaign back to back. I love it. It's so perfect if you want to watch a really fantastic playthrough of this game. I cannot highly, I cannot recommend this uh, playthrough highly enough. Easy Allies did such a wonderful job with Michael Huber and Kyle Bossman. And it was such an incredible playthrough that it inspired me to play this game. And for a little background, uh, when I grew up, I was incredibly, incredibly uh, scared of everything. I was, I was a super uh, scared little kid. And like to the point where when I would go over to my babysitter's house, I would make her hide her vampire romance novels like that's the level of like scaredy cat I was uh when I was a kid uh but when I was in fourth grade uh I would go over to uh my friend's house who lived right next to our elementary school and uh sometimes we would play video games together and I remember this so vividly that I went over to his house with a couple of other friends that morning and he was like you guys gotta see this game I just got uh it's awesome and so he booted up the PlayStation and he started the original Resident Evil 2 and we obviously only had about an hour uh, before we had to go to school, so, like, we didn't get too deep into the original game, but from a real young age, I had this weird, like, connection to Resident Evil as a series, which was always super strange to me considering how scared I was of most horror. But there was something about Resident Evil 2 specifically that just drew me in so much. And I just... Even at that young age, I, I just was so fascinated by it. And I wished... I wished I was brave enough to play this game 
but in the years that would pass, you know, I, I watched the first Resident Evil movie, and I like that first movie, but it's not really Resident Evil. It's not really telling the story of that first game. But I kind of liked it. I fell off of it once I realized, oh, this isn't actually going to be the same story as the game. So I haven't seen any of the intervening Resident Evil movies since that first one. Because what I would see of these characters that I loved was a shadow of who they were. Like, when I saw what Claire and Jill looked like, I'm like, okay, you're, like, kind of looking like the character, but, like, not really. I've seen cosplayers that would, you know, make those original Jill and Claire outfits, and I'd be like, yeah, you, you fucking get this character. You, you understand what they are. So, like, the movies just never really grabbed me. Uh, especially once it became clear that it was just about Alice. And all of the characters that you knew from the game, they, they weren't really, you know, the main focal point. They were just, you know, they were, they were the place setting. So I just never... Uh, devoted the time because guess what there's fucking six of those movies and like that's too much that is entirely too much there there were <laughs> we got to Resident Evil movie six before Resident Evil game six if 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 I'm remembering correctly it might have lined up like a little bit closer but like it was insane how fast that movie series went and how quickly it was not even close to what the video game was. So, I didn't really get what I wanted from the movies. And then once YouTube uh, playthroughs really started kicking in and I was finally able to, like, watch full playthroughs of these games that I was too scared to play as a kid. I was able to, like, observe it almost like a horror movie, where, like, I had that level of separation so I could absorb the story and the feelings, but I wasn't in control, uh, so I, I felt less scared over it. So once I was able to do that, I watched... Uh, the first two Resident Evil games get played through. Again, uh, it, it, it started out when they were at game trailers and they did those playthroughs and then game trailers eventually became Easy Allies. Uh, so through them, I was able to actually experience these games that I had always been so interested by, but I could never bring myself to actually try going through on my own. And that'll change with Resident Evil 
to remake. And part of that is because uh, the updated controls matched up with something that I felt like I could handle uh, with my skill set. Skill set. Excuse me. Uh, because the original games were tank controls, and, like, I don't know if you have ever played a game with tank controls, but you control it with, like, the shoulder buttons of your controller, as opposed to the analog stick or the D-pad, so it can be a real tough learning curve, uh, for a lot of people, especially if they didn't grow up with that type of control system. I remember when I was uh, a, a kid, I the only tank control game that I had tried other than uh, when my friend handed me the controller for Resident Evil 2 uh, was Mega Man Legends 2, uh, which also had tank controls. And it never really connected with me as far as like my brain being able to connect those shoulder buttons to the way that I would move throughout the world. So that was always like kind of a barrier alongside how scared I was to those original Resident Evil games. So once we get to Resident Evil 2 Remake and you update the controls, you put it into a third person perspective, you put it into an arena where I can uh, engage with it more easily. Uh, and, and I know a lot of you are sitting there like, well, what about Resident Evil 4? That was also third person. So why didn't you, uh, jump into that or five or six? And, uh, the answer is because the aesthetic of Resident Evil 4, 5, and 6 never connected with it never spoke to me like the Spencer Mansion or the uh, Raccoon City Police Department or, you know, the, the actual exploration of Raccoon City in uh, Resident Evil Nemesis. So the, that original trilogy and, and uh, I can't forget about uh, Code Veronica, the, those first four games, like, that was what spoke to me initially about the Resident Evil series, like, just the, the setting and the tone and how all of those games felt uh, was what made me drawn to them, but the tank controls put a barrier between me and those games. And so, even though as I go back and I watch Let's Plays of the older games, I'm not as scared by them, so, like, I feel like I could get through them. It's just that, that tank control system, because I've even seen on the newer versions that they have updated it to, like, an analog control system. And it kind of throws off the flow of the way that those games are uh, moved through to a point where it, like, it feels like it's not really worth it if you're not playing it with tank controls. So that's a bummer. But I've 
I've experienced, I've watched the original four games multiple times, and I love those games. I really do. But Resident Evil 2 Remake put it into a situation where I actually could engage with it and I could understand how to move through that world. So I was incredibly excited after watching that initial playthrough because I was like, oh my god, I can finally play a Resident Evil game. I, I, I finally get to live in this world that I've been so interested in for so long, but I've always been on the outside. So, I picked up the game, and I was at, like, because I watched the playthrough, I, I knew where certain things were gonna happen, which I appreciate in a horror setting, because I don't like being scared, I, f I like feeling prepared in the situation that I'm going into. So spoilers didn't really affect my feelings going through this game. It actually helped because it made me feel like I was more prepared for whatever situation I was going to be put into. So what I'm going to be talking about largely for today's episode is uh, Claire's first campaign. Uh, and now I've, I've gone through all four campaigns, Claire A, Claire B, Leon A, Leon B. Uh, but over the course of that, I've gone through Claire A, uh, more. And the, so, so that's what I'm going to be focusing on because I actually just replayed through uh, Claire's main campaign uh, within the last couple of days in order to talk about it here. And so that'll, like, I'll talk about some of the stuff that happens in Leon's campaign that I really love, uh, but th largely the focus is going to be on Claire's A campaign. So, right off the bat, one of the most fascinating parts about Resident Evil 2 Remake is the fact that it is remaking one of the most beloved games of all time. Resident Evil 2 Original came out in 1998, and it is still talked about constantly. Like, it is one of the most beloved video games of all time. You can't dispute that. So the idea of approaching this game from the mindset of not only are we remaking one of the most beloved games of all time, the last time that we've remade one of our Resident Evil games, it was Resident Evil 1 Remake, which came out on the GameCube 
and it it blew that game wide open in a in a way that most remakes could only dream of it perfected on the perfection that was Resident Evil 1 and it added you know the it, it added so many layers to that that game with Lisa Trevor where it is an entire section that is not present in that original game and now it is inseparable from that story to the point where they are including it in the in the upcoming Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City movie that comes out next month. That is how important this addition to Resident Evil Remake was. So, going into Resident Evil 2 Remake, you have so much stacked against you where you not only have to top the original game, you have to top the original remake that your company did. <coughs> so you have two layers of pressure going against you on top of the fact that Resident Evil fans are pissed off right now. Because the last game that you released in this series, by the time that this game was rumored, was Resident Evil 6, which had completely transformed Resident Evil from survival horror to kind of horror action. Mostly action. It's mostly action. That's basically a Gears of War game real talk and that's what Resident Evil 6 was so there were rumblings at that point of a Resident Evil 2 remake and there were rumblings of what Resident Evil 7 could be which I haven't played Resident Evil 7 but I have watched Resident Evil 7 uh, because I can't do first person games uh, they make me queasy. Uh, but I still watch that game. And Resident Evil 7 is fantastic. And so the initial rumblings of Resident Evil 2 Remake happened. And everybody was like, God, I don't want it to be like 6. I don't want to go through that like with a game that means so much to me with them turning it into a Michael Bay action movie so there was a lot of nerves going on around that time where people were like oh god you know if it happens we haven't seen anything I'm real nervous about it but then Resident Evil 7 comes up and is the best survival horror game in years. Not only is it picking up the baton from where Konami and PT left it, it is taking it so much further than 
we ever imagined. And it's tying it in with the Resident Evil lore. And it's bringing you back to that feeling of fear and like just not understanding the area that you're in or, or what you're about to go through and what Ethan goes through in Resident Evil 7 only serves to reinforce the fact that they still get it. They still understand how to make effective sci-fi or uh, survival horror sci-fi. I mean, it is kind of sci-fi if you think about it, but really it is back to survival horror. And so once Resident Evil 7 was out and it was in people's hands and they started going through that story and they started going through the Baker house and they went through those boss fights and they were like, oh my god, they still got it. The hype, the hype for Resident Evil 2 Remake at that point, after Resident Evil 7, after everyone saw how fucking good RE Engine looks, which, folks, RE Engine is the most beautiful game engine out there right now, fucking bar none easily as far as a a a engine that like is easily workable because i'm not sure about how the new unreal is as far as usability but like for usability capcom has been able to take re engine and not only make re 7 8 remake 2 and nemesis remake and then take it to Monster Hunter Rise is insane that they are able to take the same engine and make it work perfectly for both types of games. That doesn't typically happen. So the hype was high with Resident Evil 7. And then we were like, what, what is Resident Evil 2 Remake gonna be? It's been a really long time since we've heard anything about it. We haven't seen a single thing. I'm pretty nervous about it. And then that first trailer drops and it gives you the perspective of a downed uh, soldier on Hunk's team getting killed and then the mice take the fucking virus and start to spread it and it just gives you that that little taste that little just just a little tidbit of like here's what Resident Evil 2 remake is going to be and you still see that scene in the game, you pick up a videotape and you get to see that scene within canon. So it wasn't even like bullshit. Like, oh yeah, this is this is how it would have happened. This is how the the outbreak started. 
Like, no, it's really there. And a really fun part is uh, when either Claire or Leon interacts with that videotape, uh, I can't totally remember what Leon says because it's been a little bit since I played through his run, but Claire watches it and she her reaction is just, well, I'm glad I'll watch that because it's gross. And this is something that I'm going to get into, obviously, uh, because I haven't really talked about this on obviously this show or on the shipping manifest um Claire Redfield is one of my favorite characters of all time and a bunch of my friends will roll their eyes because I have literally like 300 favorite characters I am always talking about my favorite characters but it's because I get these connections to characters where I'm just like, man, I love them. And whenever I see them, I'm excited for them. But Claire Redfield steps up beyond those other masses of favorites that I have. Claire Redfield is in my top ten. And it's because of what she does in this story. So to start from the beginning, Claire is hunting for her brother. Uh, her brother works for STARS, which is a special team uh, as a part of the Raccoon City Police Department uh, that gets deployed for secret missions and like big missions and he is involved in the events of the first Resident Evil so she's you know she's trying to find him uh, because she hasn't heard from him in a very long time and she's nervous because she knew he was doing something big so the only place that she knows to search for him is Raccoon City at the police department where he works. It makes sense. It tracks. As she is on her way to Raccoon City, she stops at a gas station, and that is her first experience with zombies. Uh, she sees a police officer get taken out by a zombie that he's trying to take down into custody because he thinks he's just a crazy guy instead of a zombie, I guess. And as she gets through that gas station, she is rescued by our other hero, Leon Kennedy, who is a good boy, and we love Leon. We, we kneel at the pantheon of Leon S. Kennedy. He is a good boy. So, after Leon saves Claire from that situation, they head to the RPD because Leon is a Raccoon City police officer. And you would think, like, oh, what, well, that's weird. 
but it's Leon's first day. So, like, he's not even, like, a normal cop. He is just getting started by the time Resident Evil 2 starts. So he's not prepared for this at all. He doesn't... He doesn't even know the building that he's supposed to work, work in. Um... But Claire and Leon immediately hit it off. They're gonna be friends. It's awesome. But they get separated. And the separation is something that I really, really love from this remake. And that's because in the original game, you have a semi-truck, you know, just come out of nowhere and, you know, create an explosion, and then they're separated, and they have to go in different directions. That gives you the context for the separate storylines that you can play through. And in this one, the way that they are separated is still by that semi-truck, but it's a semi-truck driven by someone that you see in the very first scene of the game. And it gives you an extra layer of context because you see him doing his job accidentally hitting someone going out to check on them finding out they're a zombie getting getting bit and then getting back in their truck and starting to drive and so once he is later added into the equation as the motivation to separate Claire and Leon, you have that added context for like why this was happening in the world. And it doesn't take long, and it's just this added extra flavor to the situation that is like, this goes beyond the people who are you, who you're gonna be spending the most time with. Which, depending on the playthrough, is Claire or Leon. Like, this, this, in, this outbreak is echoing throughout Raccoon City. Uh, so, that added context is so, so necessary and so valued. And that's not the only time that they would do that. But before we get to that gonna take a quick break and I'll be right back. Okay, now that we have the intro kind of out of the way, I'm gonna apologize for burying the lead. Uh, you see, this is going to be a longer episode than the last one. And I don't know if you could pick it up uh, just from the intro, but Resident Evil 2 Remake is one of my favorite games of all time. And so when I was looking at Halloween, I was like, that obviously has to be the game that I talk about. Uh, because... I don't have a single day that goes by where I don't think about this game, uh, which is wild. Uh, but legitimately, it brings me 
so much joy. And like, I don't know why Resident Evil as a horror ser series brings me so much joy because it, it, it should be horrifying. And like, it is. There's a lot of really horrible shit that happens in those games, but especially in the world of Resident Evil 1 through Code Veronica, it feels like a warm blanket to me, and I don't know why, but we're not going to be dealing with the entire series tonight, obviously. I don't have enough time, and I don't have enough breath. We're just talking about RE2 Remake, and we're just talking about Claire's first campaign. So, now that we have the introductions out of the way, let's get into it. The first thing that strikes you is when you get into uh, the Resident Evil Police Department. Or not the Resident Evil Police Department, the Raccoon City Police Department. That's obviously what it's called. Uh, once you get into the police department, it's stunning. It's one of the most beautiful environments I've ever been in in a video game. And it's a weird feeling because it is dark and it's damaged and it's scary and there's just so much detail all over that police department. Oh my god, it's just dripping with character in every single room you go into. You feel not only how people interacted with this building before the outbreak, but you also see how they interacted with it as the outbreak went on. And that is so fascinating because you have some rooms that are essentially untouched, but then you have other rooms that are covered in blood and you just see all the broken windows and just so much damage and death and hell around you. And you get this dichotomy of these two different environments and then as an added layer onto that you have the weirdness of like how so many rooms you know require a puzzle in order to get into or they require a certain key or you know different ways to interact with this world and you start to feel like why is a police station in this type of building what are they doing and then as you go through the game and you find different notes and you find out more about how well this used to be an art museum and all of these puzzles puzzles were commissioned to be put into this building and then you start realizing 
oh, the puzzles are there because they were hiding things. They were hiding things in plain sight that people would never interact with in their normal day-to-day -day life. So it wasn't as weird, but like putting these puzzles into place to make it super obtuse, like nobody would pay attention to that in a non-survival kind of situation. But because of the situation that you're put into in that police department, you have to look around your environment much more as a means of survival. You, not only are you looking for supplies, but you're looking for a way forward. You're looking for a way through this hell. And so having the level design in the way that it is, it not only pushes you forward and like pushes you towards a section that it wants you to go through in order to progress the story, but it also gives you a sense of accomplishment on a constant basis that you are getting further through this environment. And that continues past the police department into the sewers, into the basement, into the orphanage, into the nest facility run by Umbrella. Boom, 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 boom. You're constantly going through these ebbs and flows where you are solving puzzles and it is progressing you through this situation. So no matter what you are going through, you still feel like you are moving forward. And that is so incredibly key in terms of game design, because if you aren't doing something that makes your player feel like they are progressing forward, unless it's a game like, I don't know, you know, even The Sims has a forward progression. Even Stardew Valley or Harvest Moon, like those, those games all have progression. And you move forward through it and you get better. So you can't even say that. But with Resident Evil 2, not only do you feel like you're progressing through an environment, you feel like you're getting better. You feel like you're getting more equipped for the awful situation that you were put in. And the reason that that feels so important, especially in this game, is yes, with Leon, you're dealing with a rookie cop. And so he is kind of inexperienced. But in the Claire campaign, she's just a normal girl she like kind of has some self-defense training you know but for the most part she's not trained to do any of this and the reason that makes claire redfield the best resident evil character is because look at all of the other main characters up to that point. You have Jill and Chris, who are highly trained STARS members. 
they may not have been trained to deal with zombies, sure, but they are absolutely combat trained and ready to handle whatever's thrown at them. You go to Resident Evil 2, Leon may be a rookie cop, but he's still been through police academy. He's had weapons training. He's had combat training to deal with different types of situations. So he's a little bit more prepared. And then you have Claire, who's just looking for her brother. And she's thrown into this situation at a random gas station that she stops at on the way. And from that point forward, she just has to survive. And she has to learn on the fly in order to get through what she's going through. And what she's going through is horrifying. It is the worst possible experience you could imagine. And for somebody like her, who she loves her brother and she's just trying to find him by the time that she gets here and she's and he's gone he's nowhere to be found and the only trace of him doesn't sound like him it doesn't sound right you feel alone you feel completely terrified of of the environment that you're in when you're Claire. And that's why I find I find Claire to be obviously you need to play both Claire and Leon to in order to get the full story. But in terms of what I feel is the predominant main story of Resident Evil 2 and what makes it so vital is Claire's story. And there's a few reasons for that. In terms of horror, the most effective horror movies have what is known as a final girl. I mean, you can look at Scream, you can look at Halloween, you can look at any number of horror movies to find the trope of the final girl. And in the original Resident Evil, I love Jill. I love Jill Valentine. Do not get me wrong. But she starts off that game pretty capable. So you, you're never that scared for her. Really, I mean, maybe that is, you know, 25 years of bias, you know, putting that in my head that, yeah, of course Jill Valentine is going to be able to get through this. But from from where I look at it, uh, you are much more afraid of what could happen to Claire uh, because she's she comes into the situation much less prepared uh, to deal with what is going to happen to her. And so, as you are making your way through that police department initially, and she is constantly onslaughted with these 
horrible, horrible things, you start to be like, when is she, is she going to break? Is she going to be able to get through this? And you would understand if she broke uh, with, with everything that she's encountered. There are multiple times where you look at her and you're like, girl, I'd, I'd be gone. I would absolutely give up in this situation because that really sucked. But Claire keeps going. And Claire is so determined to survive that she makes it incredibly motivational and aspirational, really. Because with all of her inexperience and all of her clear fear of the situation that she's in, she finds a little girl and she keeps her safe. And there is nothing that Claire wouldn't do to keep Sherry Birkin safe. And that is such an incredibly important part of Claire's arc. She's a protector. She has to keep people safe and she will put herself in incredible danger in order to do that. It's because Claire Redfield's a goddamn hero. And that is consistently reinforced throughout the game. But it's not done in a way that makes it feel like it's unearned. It never feels like the writers are protecting this character. Like, this character is obviously going through a lot of shit, and she's getting through it. But, like, she's not going to be the same at the end of it. But one of the most important parts of Claire's story is her relationship with Sherry. And that's because Sherry helps Claire maintain her connection to humanity. Because there are very long stretches where Claire is completely alone and the only things that she's seeing are zombies or monsters or fucking zombie dogs like that's all she's seeing as she's going through these areas and after a while of killing those sorts of things in order to survive through these rooms, you could be super disconnected from reality and it could harden you and it could make you really harsh and gross about the nature of humanity and existence and you could, it, like, it could destroy you from within. But Claire starts off the game as a very good-hearted person. And throughout the game, 
as she is pushed through these horrible situations, she is only given more opportunity to show that she is a good person. And finding Sherry and finding a way to calm her down and earn her trust and like figure out ways to keep her safe they're things that could easily be ignored in a story like this. The effect on, like, children in this. Because, I hate to tell you this, but there's a lot of kids around. And your whole zombie fantasy doesn't really account for, like, how are you going to deal with a bunch of dead kids around you? Guess what? not great. It's pretty hor horrible. Uh, so, by putting Sherry in there with Claire, it gives you that connection to humanity with just a good kid. Like, she's just a good kid who has a couple of really shitty parents. And she's put into a real shitty situation. And it's up to you to fix it and make it better for her. And, like, give this kid a better life. And that is such a noble pursuit that you wouldn't really expect from a zombie game, you know? You, you, you expect going into a zombie game like yeah I'm gonna, you know maybe I'll survive maybe I'll save a couple of people blah 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 zombies you know that sort of thing but putting Sherry in your care taking her away from you putting you in Sherry's shoes as she tries to escape Chief Irons and then, like, you get back together, and then you get separated again. Like, it feels like you have this connection to this little person that you just want to take care of. You want to make sure you get them out of this horrible, horrible situation alive, and you're going to do anything possible to do it. And I have to applaud what Capcom was able to do with Sherry in this. And I do have to point to one game as something that I thank for Resident Evil 2. And that is The Last of Us. And I'm sure I'm sure you're not surprised. To, to hear a connection between The Last of Us and Resident Evil. They're both zombie games. Sure, obviously, that makes sense. But it's not in the zombie interaction that I credit The Last of Us for inspiring Resident Evil 2. It is how... The Last of Us showed how you could do a quote-unquote escort mission where you have another character with you but make it not 
annoying because you can just look to Resident Evil 4 for what a really fucking annoying escort mission is because that's that entire game. So by putting Sherry in your protection but also not having Sherry actually be in danger within the gameplay, it's so important because it makes your level of caring about Sherry on you personally as opposed to nursing Sherry's health bar and making sure she doesn't get caught by a zombie or making sure she's following you or anything like that. It gives you the same feeling of protecting a character without giving you the stress and anxiety of an old school escort quest and that is so incredibly welcome it makes everything that you do with sherry much less stressful than it could have been uh and therefore it doesn't take you out of the narrative that it's trying to tell you because one of the biggest problems with escort quests is if they make it too hard, it makes it so you don't care about the person you're escorting. It makes it so you look at them and it, you're like, you're so fucking worthless. I wish you would die so I could just move on. And that's why escort quests are really fucking bad. And nobody likes them. We went through so many years where every single game had a fucking escort quest. And every character you were escorting had their own health bar. And they couldn't fight for themselves. And they always made stupid decisions that got them attacked. And it was horrible they could have easily easily done that with resident evil 2 remake like i said they did it in resident evil 4 what up to that point was their most critically loved game in the entire series for years years Critics loved Resident Evil 4. I don't like it as much. That's another story. So they could have easily just leaned back on what worked in that game. Because, I mean, critics loved it. So, like, why change it? But they did. And they made it so Sherry can't die. Sherry can't get killed when you're escorting her. And the escort sections with Sherry aren't very long, really. They're pretty quick. So you don't even have to worry about that for very long. And I think that is so important, especially for the pacing of the game. Because one of the biggest things that would cause your players to keep getting stuck and, like, dying and having to restart and go forward again 
is if you have a character that you can't control that keeps dying. Like, that's Resident Evil 4, baby. And so, completely cutting out that nuisance of Resident Evil 2 Remake makes it incredible. And then updating Sherry's section from the original, which in the original was very annoying and slow and bad, they update her section to a completely new area of the of the game that is only accessible in this part of the game. It puts you in control of Sherry, and even though you can't fight back, you are still in control of your survival. And it makes it fun. It, it takes away the power that you've built up as Claire up to that point. And it makes you feel scared of like, what if I get this little girl caught by this awful man? Like, what's he going to do? So it brings in a whole other level of fear. And it makes Sherry a better character. Because in the original game, uh, Sherry sucks. Sherry's not a good character. And that's partly because of her voice acting, but it's also just plain down to writing. Uh, she's just worse in that original game. So they fixed her in a really fantastic way to make not only a better character who has always been a part of the universe so improving her but also improving and strengthening her connection and relationship with claire which is incredibly vital uh to your investment in the story that resident evil 2 tells especially going forward because although there were a lot of things that were introduced in the remake that haven't necessarily been addressed going forward, there's a little bit touched on in Resident Evil 3 Remake, but uh, not, not quite there yet. And then it hasn't been talked about at all in 7 or 8. Um, but it presents you with this new potential of like what is Claire and Sherry's relationship going to be five ten years down the line in the grand Resident Evil storyline and I'm excited to see that I want to see that because I know Sherry gets brought back in I'm pretty sure Resident Evil 6 but everyone tries to ignore resident evil 6 so like eh, how much how much is that canon i think she shows up in a revelations game maybe i'm not sure but i'm mostly interested in what they can do now that re2 remake is done and you've set up this relationship and you've made it so important uh, to Claire players 
uh, you love their relationship and and you want to see them grow up together because Claire's still young and Sherry's just a kid so it's not even necessarily like a mother-daughter kind of relationship although they definitely uh, play on that in the game but it feels like an older sister uh, just like a really good older sister who is going to take care of you and get you through the hard times. Um, I just, I just love what they did with that relationship. It's, it, it's what the entire campaign hinges on, really, at least emotionally, because your initial driving force is finding Chris but very early on in the game you find out uh Chris ain't here uh you're not gonna find him not appearing in this film Chris Redfield uh so you lose that initial drive and then your drive is just survival and that takes you for a little bit but then your drive is keeping Sherry safe and that is such an important driving force uh as you go through it so I just I I love what they did with it and a big thing that I want to talk about is how impressed I am with this remake in general as far as how it takes old elements and brings it forward into today. So taking these environments, which in the original games were static backgrounds, that you know they were fixed cameras. They they weren't areas that you could go into and rotate in a right analog stick to see the other side like you you just saw what they wanted you to see because it was just a flat picture so in the remake they have taken this area which so many people had played for years and years and they know it like the back of their hand and they did two incredible things they were able to recreate like perfectly certain sections of this game but then they were able to make completely new sections that didn't feel out of place when put together they were able to honor the original while fleshing it out with things that were thematically in line with the original creation to the point where as you were going through it it doesn't feel different from what you had originally played everything connects in a way where you're like yeah i remember this I remember this. I, I, I went through this hallway. And while you might have gone through that hallway, you didn't go into that room. 
or you might have gone into that room but you haven't gone into this second room that is connected to there that has a puzzle that you have to solve that is similar to a puzzle in the original game but it's just different enough to make it feel fresh and then once you solve it you get into that new room and it's completely different but it doesn't feel out of line with the world that has been built around around you thus far and it is such an incredibly difficult task to recreate someone's nostalgia and add on to it in a way that doesn't disrupt that nostalgia but continues to evoke it in a way where everything feels of a piece. Design-wise, it is incredible. I don't I don't know how psychologically you can create those same feelings, especially when if you think about it, spoilers Resident Evil 2 Remake was made over 10 years after the original. So how many of the original team do you think came back for the remake? Not a lot. So being able to capture those same emotions and those same feelings is remarkable because you can look at like remade movies where they get too precious with remaking it that they don't do anything new and so it just feels like kind of the same but worse because everything that they do end up adding is remarkably worse from what was in the original and it was just changed in order to change something but with Resident Evil 2 Remake, it retains the spirit of every area that you go into. It adds new areas that are completely still within that original spirit. It ties them together in a way that is cohesive, and you understand as a liminal space. You're never in this area saying that doesn't make sense for that to be where it is. Everything tracks. Every, you understand exactly, especially in the police department, when, when you finally unlock that top floor and you're able to look down at the first floor where you entered the building. Oh, oh, woo progress incredible progress and then once you hit that point when you go back to the first floor and you pan your camera up and you can see that fourth floor that you didn't notice the first time that you got in there oh it's just incredible how it makes you feel and the added context of like, why would you turn 
a police, uh, uh, an old art museum into a police station. And it's like, because the people who run this are secretive psychos who are just horrible people and don't care about efficiency. They want to make everything as hard as possible for you. That's the explanation. And once you get that explanation, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I get it. These people suck. And I hate them. I hate, I hate Umbrella so fucking much. And I, I, I love the level design in this game because while there is some backtracking, it doesn't feel like annoying backtracking. It feels like aha backtracking, kind of similar to like a, a, a really good Castlevania or Metroid game where you finally get a piece in order to open up a new area that you had seen earlier and you couldn't get into and you're like damn i really want to check out what that is but i don't have what i need in order to get into it and so the way that re2 remake does that is so incredibly effective because the moments when you find a new key or a new puzzle piece, or, you know, anything like that. Any item that isn't just your basic, like, ammo, health, you know, shit like that. Key items. When you find some key items in Resident Evil 2 Remake, you are fucking stoked. Because it means you get to go forward. You get to move through this area that you're in. You get to encounter new enemies. You get to look at new clues. You get to find out new information about this story that you're in. You get to... You don't know what's behind that fucking door. And it's so exciting. You're so ready to go forward. And so that, that progression that they build into the DNA of this story of opening up locked doors and unraveling a mystery. Everything is just so satisfying from a gameplay perspective. Because not only do you feel like you're surviving a real harrowing experience, feel like you're learning something every time you do every time you survive a new room and you have it cleared and you get to look around you got your flashlight out you're checking around all right are there any supplies is what you know what's in this room and you maybe you find a green herb maybe you find a key maybe you find some bullets maybe you find a whole new gun what and when you find a new gun in this this type of game oh man so exciting are you kidding me a new way to kill zombies because every type of gun that you have kills zombies in a different way it feels different and like you you might think like well it's all bullets but like capcom did some incredible work when it comes to these enemies and how they react to 
uh, your weapons. Um, I mean, you can lose a lot of time to just taking down a zombie by, like, their leg, and then while they're on the ground, just popping off each of their limbs and seeing the way that they crawl towards you with, like, a different limb missing. They have an animation for every single possibility of a missing limb. Two arms gone, they're moving their legs like they would. A leg and an arm, they're moving like that would. Every single way is programmed into these enemies, and it makes everything feel so much more dynamic, which is something that really bums me out that they ended up cutting back on in uh, Nemesis Remake. Uh, they don't have the same level of dynamic damage to the zombies uh, where you can, you know, pick off different limbs. Uh, they just kind of explode off of them, which is, like, visually interesting, but uh, it's it's just not the same. It's not the same. And so you, you can't help but feel a bit disappointed moving from RE2 Remake into Nemesis Remake. Uh, but that's a digression, and I've already been talking about this game for a very long time. Sorry to bury the lead. I don't know if you could tell by now, but this is one of my favorite games of all time. I love Resident Evil 2 Remake with all of my heart. I love it so much because every time I play this game, I feel so excited to go through it. And one of the things that makes me excited is the, the team's attention to detail. It is absolutely stunning to go into these rooms and see the way that they have been laid out and designed in a way to make them feel lived in and real and like just little drawings or you know posters flyers everything like that the actual design element in these levels uh beyond like the gameplay design but like the setting up of props for like lack of a better term is so masterful because you get every room that you step into based on the context clues that you were given by how everything is set up. So you'll walk into a room and you'll see, you know, one single dead body on the ground and all the lights are out. 
and you walk up to them and you say, see, oh, there's, there's bullets under them. And by placing those bullets under them, it creates that fear of like, if I grab them, is the zombie going to wake up? Like, what's going to happen? Or you're placed into a situation where you're going into what seems like a quiet room and you see a zombie clearly sitting in this room. What do you do? Now, do you preemptively strike and shoot at this zombie? Well, good work. If you shot that zombie, it's now awake and you have a new threat that you have to deal with. But if you don't bother them, if you don't shoot them, if you just run right on past, you're fine. But by designing that specific room like that, it creates player choice that will affect the story and the way that they interact with your game world. And that is incredibly important. It is incredibly important when you need to get people invested in your world by presenting a choice and completely changing their experience based on that choice and it's not a choice that is highlighted like a dialogue choice like you you know i i absolutely love mass effect um but like most of the big choices are just in dialogue wheels so you know they're coming but like real small choices when it comes to how do you interact with the world that you're in changing your experience like that is something that I really wish more games would be able to do but I think too many games are getting too big in order to create that much more uh intimate sort of experience um I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure there's plenty of examples where that isn't the case, but I just feel like so many games are so big right now that it's exhausting. And you, and you lose that level of detail that you get in a game like Resident Evil 2 Remake. But I have officially uh, talked way too long. About Resident Evil 2 uh, I could easily easily go on into much greater detail into much greater spoilers but uh, I'm out of breath and I'm tired and I hope I've made this uh, interesting because this is a game that means a lot to me um, because one of my favorite things in the world is a character who is introduced to us as ordinary, but through the series of uh, events they are thrown into, they are shown to be extraordinary. And I feel like the story uh, that Claire goes through 
it absolutely matches up with that. And same with Leon, absolutely. And I will say, before I go, uh, that Leon has my favorite line of the entire game. And that is when Leon... It's going to sound insane if you haven't played this game, but it is 100% true. Uh, Leon is running away from a, like, 100-foot crocodile. It's huge, and it's angry, and it's covered in moss, and Leon is running through the sewers away from it. He slides under, under a pipe. The gator bites down onto that pipe, and then Leon shoots it. But it's not just Leon shooting it, it is you in control of it. You have to point, you have to shoot at this pipe. So, so fucking important to connecting you to it. And when this pipe explodes and full-on Jaws style, which, spoilers for RE2 Remake, spoilers for Jaws, I guess, I don't know. Uh, Leon launches this line. Chew on that, you overgrown son of a bitch. And when you hear it, you're just like, yes, that is exactly what I wanted to say. That is exactly the feeling that I had. And Resident Evil 2 Remake is filled to the brim with characters absolutely nailing exactly what you are feeling in that moment. And that creates this unbelievable connection between you and a character when a character vocal is able to vocalize a thought that you were having but you're having it subconsciously so when they say it you're just like oh my god yes i that's exactly what i would have said it makes you just fall in love and you love it and so i wish I, I wish more games were like Resident Evil 2 Remake. I really do. I wish they were a little bit spooky, but, like, I can get through it. It's not, it's not like Amnesia, where I have to deal with, like, some truly, truly horrific story or anything like that. It's just, like, it's cozy, and you're dealing with some zombies, and you're saving a little girl, and you're saving the world. And you're having fun. But. That's Resident Evil 2. And that's my. Big special episode for Halloween. Uh. I'm sorry it's long. But I hope you like it. Um. You can get in contact with me. At. MaydayArcadePod. At gmail.com. That's M-A-Y-D-A-Y-A-R-C-A-D-E pod at gmail.com. What the fuck am I going to talk about next week? Who knows? Honestly, I don't have it. I don't I don't have this planned out. I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants and seeing what video game I want to talk about because 
gosh darn it, I've played a lot of them. And I need to make this worth it somehow. But if you have suggestions, if you have questions, if you have a game that did something fun that you want to bring up, uh, please let me know. Uh, I'd love to hear about it. Uh, but until then, I've been Maddie, and my voice is giving out. Bye-bye.